Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes already. This is a Mesh Musings episode where I do a relatively short overview, some might call a few of them rants, on a specific topic related to Data Mesh. I try to put uh, you know my few summary takeaways in the show notes too to make it easy to decide if this will be useful for you. Quick reminder as well to hit the Data Mesh Understanding link in the show notes to easily review listings of past episodes you might have missed, you know, that I've grouped up on different topics to make it easy if you want to do like a deep dive into governance or something like that. Do check out the Data Mesh Understanding offerings as well and the free community introduction and roundtable programs while you're there. Now with that, on to the Mesh Musing. Data Mesh Implementation Success Metrics, Data Quality, Mesh Musings number 53. So continuing on in the series on success metrics, this one's also going to be kind of long like uh, Mesh Musings 52 was, I decided to really dial in on data quality metrics at the implementation success level. I'll repeat a bit from the previous ones to start. Number one, your initial measurements and your ability to measure them will probably suck. That's okay and expected. Get to measuring, no excuses. Number two, what matters will become more and more apparent over time. Don't lock into measuring the same thing. That will also change. If you look at something like baseball, for instance, they used to really focus so much on batting percentage, how often you got a hit when you were up at the plate. But someone like Ichiro Suzuki who very rarely got a walk, looked far better because his batting percentage was higher than a lot of people who got on base more frequently. So they moved on to measuring on-base percentage as a much better metric, right? Moneyball does a great job of kind of covering how a lot of this stuff works. But you start to realize, oh, okay, batting percentage isn't the thing that matters now or did it matter in the past and we were measuring the wrong thing? Who cares? Just start measuring the right thing. Start measuring things that are more and more relevant. It's okay. Number three, your metrics will not look great at the start. You're measuring the success of your implementation. The implementation success metrics are not measuring about measuring if you are quote unquote successful today, or at least not much about that. They're about setting your goals and focusing on improvement and measuring that improvement, measuring how you're progressing over time. Okay, so again, implementation success metrics are about the success of your overall implementation, not a specific use case or data product. And your mileage will certainly vary with all these metrics. At the end of the day, it's about, again, trying to measure what matters. That isn't going to be average accuracy across data products, Because one data product might have 80% accuracy as its uh, SLA or service level agreement. I'm going to talk about SLAs a whole heck of a lot. So 
Uh, if you're not familiar with SLAs, I recommend looking into that as well, and maybe re-listening to this. But so, you know, one data product might have an accuracy SLA of 80%, and this other one has 99.99%. And so that other one that's 99.99% hitting 98% accuracy is bad, versus the one with an 80% accuracy hitting 85% accuracy is good, right? So, you know, if that one is at 85% accuracy, it would also bring across the entire average down across all data products. When you think about data quality at the end of the day, you want data, data to be quality so you make better decisions and you want to ensure and measure its quality so you can create trust in the data and data work so people will, will rely on it. But data quality is only, you know, there is no universal measurement. You want to measure against <laughs> what were the needs and how well did it meet the, the needs. So going back to what you're trying to do, you're trying to make better decisions. That's why you want more quality in your data and you want people to trust it more to make decisions to start to rely on data. Better decisions and people relying on the data. So always think about what to track as to whether this is meeting expectations and engendering trust. If people don't trust enough to rely on the data, they won't use it, and it's just expensive ones and zeros. So let's start to talk about how you would actually measure data quality in a way that matters. At the data product level, you will have data quality guarantees around things like, you know, and I stole this from a good Calibra post on the six aspects of data quality, but completeness, accuracy, consistency, validity, uniqueness, integrity. I think in timeliness is also crucial. So you can start to look into those things. I'm not going to dig in real, real deep on all, what all of those things mean here, but you can start to think about what are the actual aspects of quality that you would then measure against at the actual data product level itself. So what is good to measure around these types of metrics for data quality is to what degree are your general data products, you know, across the, the implementation, meeting their agreed upon SLAs, what they actually say that they're going to meet, what the use cases require relative to quality. You can think of this like kind of quality uptime if you want. Like as an example, for every day in a 30-day window, how good was each data product on accuracy versus target? Again, the data product with an 80% accuracy target, if 25 of 30 days it was at 100% accuracy, which, you know, isn't really a thing, but we'll just say it for the math, but five of the 30 days it was at 75% accuracy, the average accuracy uh, over that period, you know, against 80% target accuracy was 95.83. So it's really good, right, compared to that 80%. But five of 30 days it missed its target on one of six days or, you know, 16.67% of the days. So how you measure whether something is meeting expectations really matters. This is really interesting when people get into kind of 99th percentile measurement, and then you think about 99th percentile measurement and averaging that across time, it starts to become meaningless because you're creating averages of averages. And it, it's so, you know, you can look into how SRE stuff measures, you don't have to get that specific at the start. You can kind of start with measures that aren't that great. But think about what matters. Is it that it 
overall, it's meeting its target for the entire time period from an average standpoint? Or is it that every time somebody is going to leverage this, they're getting what they expect, what the SLA meant? So that's where I would say that 80% accuracy target, even though it had 95.83% accuracy across the month, missing its accuracy target on one out of six days on five of the 30 days means it's an abject failure, right? It really is completely not accurate enough. So at the implementation level, when thinking about quality, you want to look at how well is the general suite of data products meeting their agreed upon SLAs. You can suss that out in many different ways, but be careful of just trying to average things, as I said, as we saw with the 96% being well above SLA versus 17% not meeting the, you know, 17% of the time meeting its expectations. It can be a bit hard to figure out how to dig into the why as well when quality is not meeting expectations. Why are 10% of data products not meeting their timeliness SLAs? Is that because the processing, the tools you are using are too slow or is there resource contention or what's causing that? You will need to be prepared to dig in and the high level metrics can only point you in directions you might want to investigate. They're not going to be the thing that tells you the why of the situation. They're going to tell you kind of the what and you can start to dig into that. They are the impetus to figure out what is happening. I think a little about percent success rate in sports here. And sorry for people that aren't sports people. I'm not really actually that much anymore, but it, it it really works to make good examples of things. If you are a baseball player and you hit get a hit one third of the time, you are considered extremely good. Two out of five, if you get a hit and two out of five at bats, it's essentially unheard of. But in basketball, if you were t- talking about three-point shots, hitting one out of three is is good, right? It's pretty great. Two out of five is really good. But if you're talking about two-point shots, two out of five or 40% is quite bad. And you want to be at least around, you know, one out of two or 50%. But if you're talking free throws in basketball, then 70%, you know, seven out of 10 is okay. 80% or eight out of 10 is, is pretty good. And nine out of 10 or 90% is very excellent. So it's about what are the expectations and how well is something performing to those expectations? We've talked about this a lot around data products as to it doesn't matter, you know, none of this stuff is measured in a vacuum. So don't try to to set up your implementation metrics to measure in a vacuum simply because it's easier. If it were me and someone were to ask me how I would set this up, I would have one hour intervals across all data products to see how well they are meeting SLAs and kind of check it at the hour level. Maybe I'd start at the day level, the very start of an implementation or whatever. I would also say for any data product that has a greater refresh time than one hour, I would expand to match that window. So I'm not just measuring the same thing over and over and over when the data hasn't changed. You know, there's an old SNL news skit about uh, reporting this thing, and it was, you know, General Francisco Franco is still dead. The situation has not changed. You don't need to continue to report on it. And I would see how often things were up to those SLAs, up to spec. And you might not, you might even start to look at having SLAs about your SLAs. You know, somebody might say, we will meet three nines of quality 
you know, in for ABC metric and for, you know, this other data product 95% of the time. I think that gets too meta. I don't think you want to start to do that. And I don't think you want to especially look at that, the implementation level that gets too complex, but I think those types of things will emerge. So again, I want to be seeing how often data products aren't meeting their SLAs and then start to break things down. You know, is that a, you know, I would take it and look at it from each separate metric on the whole and be like, do we have a problem in general as to our accuracy or timeliness or completeness or, you know, our validity or whatever? And then I would also start to look at it from domains and say, is there an issue in that domain? Do we have, you know, specific problems that are kind of universal and we need to up our uh, data fluency or is there a problem with the platform? Is this domain not really ready to be on data mesh? Are they in over their head? You know, don't even get me started on the whole thing about uniqueness because there's a chapter in Gwen Shapiro's Kafka book. It's an entire chapter literally on how to do exactly once delivery. And essentially the entire chapter is what that means, right? <laughs> You'd think you know what that means, but you have to get very specific. So, you know, popping up to the higher picture, you can again drill down into these things too much. You want to get a sense of how things are going at the implementation level around your data quality. Um, so once I'm compiling these metrics in kind of my world as, as I would imagine it, I can start to get a sense for the overall health of my data quality and look for problem areas. I think like one of the things is you want to look at number of times data products didn't meet SLAs to be the, the metric rather than again, averaging things out and going, oh, well, our data products meet their SLAs, you know, 95% of the time. So pat on the back and you start to look in and it's like, well, nobody's ever meeting it on accuracy. So we've got a real, real big problem because nobody's going to trust it because their accuracy is not there. Or we've got a timeliness problem again that you can start to dig into that. I think you want to not let the numbers just kind of flow through. You want to start to really get a sense of where are my problem areas. So that's one aspect of data quality, right? Let's pop back up to a higher level. When people talk error tolerance, they often bring up ball bearings, you know, those little metal balls. Sometimes they're used for things um, where the fault tolerance is really wide. I especially think about in Dungeons and Dragons, you can get a pouch of ball bearings that you throw on the ground to make people slip. The accuracy of, you know, the precision of the manufacturing doesn't have to be that great. But sometimes you need super precision manufacturing for lots of crucial industrial or medical use cases with ball bearings. And it's not the average of how well you make the ball bearings across the, the whole spectrum. Each of those ball bearings must comply to the manufacturing needs or it should be thrown out. And some of those will probably still slip through. So you have kind of this expected rate of them being not to the specification of here's how we're going to manufacture these, you know, to the millimeter or even, you know, micrometer or something like that of, uh, the ball bearings diameter or things like that. That's how I think about data quality. When are things not meeting expectations? 
Again, not that average. I don't care if the average quality of the food at the cafeteria is excellent. If one out of the 20 times that I eat there every single, you know, out of every 20 times, one out of those, I get food poisoning. I'm not going to trust that food at all, even if it's excellent 19 out of 20 times. We can even get into the meta of how accurate is the information about your data quality that you're compiling, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Suffice it to say, you should look to establish easy ways for people to measure and understand data quality as a producer and a consumer, right? And then we can get into data contracts in another day of, of how that works. So as I was prepping for this uh, Mesh Musing, I read a Monte Carlo post on what they called the 12 most important metrics around data quality. And I just in general didn't agree with it. I think they generally put out good content, but I didn't agree with this one. The post was, the only things that really matter are related to what they call data downtime. So, you know, when there is an issue, and they were talking about the two things that really matter are time to detect issues and time to recovery from issues or incidents. I don't want to get into it too deeply, but if you really, really focus too much on mean time, on average time to detect issues and average time to recover, you can start to go against SRE bat practices, but I think that's something you'll discover when you are a couple of years in. I don't think you need to focus too much on getting this perfect up front. I think you want to start to focus on um, how long does it take to detect incidents more than even recover. And you want to start to think about that as how long does it take to find things of certain severity levels, right? One instance that I saw um, where... <laughs> Somebody really, really was concerned about this, but it wasn't a big deal, was, um, you know, the shade of green when something was up 25% matched the shade when it was 30%, when the, the shade of 25% was supposed to be slightly lighter, right? That's not the most important incident in the world. But going back to which is more important, time to detect or time to fix, they are crucial in the abstract. You just kind of have to think about them with a grain of salt, because again, if something's not that big of a deal and it takes a month to fix it, which is something that actually happens quite often in the software world. If it's not a big deal, if it's a priority four incident, eh, right? Like, are you including that in your average time to recover? That's going to skew things in a, in a silly way. So, you know, think about how quickly you are detecting an issue or even just an anomaly. I think this is the more important one. And then do you have a set plan to react based on when you detect something. In good DevOps and SRE practices, you should never have an alert unless you have a runbook for how you'll react to that alert. So you can start to think about, as a metric, runbook coverage, right? Of where we think that this might be an issue, so we're creating an alert. Do we have a runbook for what happens when that, that happens? But that's kind of really, really next level stuff. That's for people that are really advanced. So you don't have to, to hit that at the very start of your journey. So again, going back to if this is me and I'm implementing this, if I'm early in my journey, I'm focusing more on mean time to detect as the main metric and measuring mean time to recover or remediate or whatever, but detect again, far bigger when thinking trust and reliability to me, it may be that your mean time to recover 
actually starts to lengthen. And that is actually good because you are preventing so many of the small issues. So <laughs> you're only really recovering when you have big, big issues or low priority issues. And so again, that, that can be um, a misleading metric. So I think mean time to detect issues is the most important when you're thinking at the overall implementation level. And obviously you want to push that down more and more as time goes on, the more you can. And again, you want to correlate it to severity. Not to get lost in this, but obviously number of incidents is an important metric, but it can be a very misleading one, especially as you look at it over time of an implementation. If you are far better at detecting incidents, you will find more incidents, right? So you can say, oh, nothing has changed except for our incidents are up, you know, 50% week over week. Well, we, you know, added a lot more tooling that can really get a lot more fine-grained and is detecting more incidents. So it's not that there are 50% more incidents, it's that (laughs) we are able to detect the 50% more that we couldn't (laughs) the previous week, right? Um. And so as well as you think about over an implementation's life, if you have 30 teams and 150 data products participating in your mesh, you'll probably have more incidents than when you had two domains and six products on the mesh. Maybe think about incidents as compared to density, number of data products, number of teams, and again, include in that severity a lot of priority four incidents may not be all that comparable to one or two priority one or priority zero incidents. So it's something to think about, but it's also not something to be like, this is the thing set in stone. Don't get too locked into the measure instead of what are you trying to figure out? I will also point to driving trust via measuring who is detecting quality issues. Ale Cabrera, in her episode, um, talked about this a lot, that she's constantly watching for issues and alerting her consumers when she finds an issue. And that actually drives trust because it shows that she's watching, right? And again, who is who is uh, finding the issues? If it is the producers, whether that on their own or hopefully even via automatically via the platform more often than that, that creates that degree of trust. It says, hey, we are actually monitoring this stuff and alerting you when we find issues and fixing them proactively. That aspect is so important of who is paying attention and showing care. There will always be issues in data, right? If somebody as a consumer requires 100% clean data 100% of the time, they cannot actually use data, right? They don't understand how data works. But if consumers are constantly seeing the producers are on top of things, again, that creates a lot of trust. How you measure that, maybe you have a consumer incident report button, And so you measure that against how often producers are reporting their own incidents. But again, this can be really difficult when you think about the actual metric that you were measuring. The stat could get, again, a little bit out of whack, but still an interesting thing, especially early in your journey or early for a domain's individual journey when you're thinking about implementation success metrics. Again, I'm trying to keep coming back to not just the idea of what are we trying to measure, but how would we actually measure this? What would be the actual measurement? So I'm not going to get too deep into data contracts and data testing or test coverage here, 
do listen to Sophia Tanya's episode, which was episode 238, about how much trust is created when people know you have good test coverage of your software and how that can translate to data. We should think about test coverage and prevention of data quality issues by the platform. But I'm sorry, it's too deep of a topic that I'm not smart enough on regarding data testing or testing in general, really in software, to get into here. And data contracts is, you know, something that I can go off on for probably two and a half hours straight. So let's not get into that right now. (laughs) So let's circle back on measuring trust and then wrap things up with talking about metadata quality and trying to measure things at the overall level of your implementation. So to start, you could just do some surveys around trust in general at the beginning of your journey or at the beginning of measuring, you know, if you're two years in and you haven't really started measuring, the best time to have started measuring was at the beginning. The second best time is now. So, you know, at the start of this, you want to kind of get a baseline to understand how much trust is there in general in data in your organization and more specifically around some use cases that are going to be on mesh or are already on mesh. Again, that's a fine way to start. I think overall trust versus localized trust, you know, trust in specific data products and or use cases is really hard. And so this is where at the implementation level, you kind of need to be focusing on the level of trust almost as a vibe to start. Simple surveys can get you an early idea of the baseline around how much do people in the organization trust data. And then you can start to say, you know, how much has this person's trust in data changed or how much has this department's trust in data changed and how much has the overall organization's trust in data changed. But going deeper, so trust is inter, you know, intertwined with are people leveraging the data and relying on it. This is something I keep bringing up is there's a difference between are people using the data and are people actually relying on it. So if the data is trustworthy but not useful, people will not be using it, at least much, in their decision-making. So you can't just measure, are people using the data? But, you know, the opposite of that is, if the data is useful, but they don't trust it, regardless, irrespective of if they should trust it, it may be that the data has really, really high quality levels, but people just don't trust it, people will not use it much in their decision-making. So let's start with a little bit of measuring of if people are using the data. I gave some metrics around that um, on the data product level in Mesh Musings 51. You can look to an impact measurement framework. It can start as simply as if there is a data product around, you know, a use case, how much impact did the data have on making decisions around XYZ use case? Imprecise, right, when you're thinking about that as a measurement, but still better than nothing. You're starting to figure out how do I measure, what do I measure, right? So this is the actual success metrics. You start by measuring and doing it pretty imprecisely. If the impact is low to around that use case of what is the impact of the data, that's where you start to dig in. Again, is that the data isn't very fit for purpose, If that's not the case, then you start to dig into why the data would be useful, but it's not being used. Again, though, this is kind of localized trust at the data product level. So thinking about it at the overall implementation level can get a little, you can get a little bogged down in trying to talk to too many people or uh, do too many one-on-one interviews. 
I think you do need to do these surveys, but you want to think about them in um, a more scalable fashion, but you want to figure out the vibe of how people internally feel about data in general and the quality associated to measure how much in general they rely on the data in their day-to-day and then survey more on why they feel however they feel. If people don't trust the data, why? If they just don't trust data, not the data for this organization, but data in general, then they need to upgrade their data fluency, right? It's not about we're not providing the good data that they need. It's that they just don't trust data, so we need to get them to a place where they can trust data. Do they just not trust this one data product? Why? But summing things up, again, will be hard. So I think this will be an amalgamation of your other metrics and surveys. Are people increasing their usage and subsequently their reliance on data? Do people feel more confident in the data? Looking at it through the implementation lens, again, at the overall high level, will be challenging. I'm not saying I've got all the answers here. And I think even if we do find the answers again, it will be, it depends and it's challenging and, you know, it's hard to get this at scale. So let's finish on another very squirrely topic in data quality, metadata quality. As with much metadata, metadata quality itself, you know, the quality of your metadata is typically more qualitative than quantitative. I guess data quality metrics are metadata, but I'm thinking more at the individual level of data products. How well do you measure the quality of metadata across your implementation? Is that like testing does the, is the lineage in every data product and does it make sense and is it understandable? Is that coverage of a required information for documentation in your data catalog? Is this about having people re- you know, rate every aspect of metadata in a data product to get that sense? That can be a lot of overhead. I'll be honest, I don't think I've heard, heard of good ways of measuring the quality of your metadata beyond automated measures for automated metadata, right? Like quality metrics and things like that. Tracking of does this meet requirements, like the catalog coverage, you know, somebody put something in here. I don't know if it's any good or not, but somebody met the requirement. And, you know, you kind of have to be surveying people on everything else. I just haven't heard of good ways of doing this otherwise. You know, some people are asking machines to rate the quality of documentation and things like that. I just don't think it's a great idea. We've seen things like ChatGPT that hallucinates we really want to trust the nuance of measuring the quality of like even a poem, much less documentation to, uh, you know, an LLM, you know, to a model. I, I don't really want to do that. So I don't have a great idea here on how to measure your metadata quality, but it's something that you want to make sure of because metadata is the thing that drives understanding, which drives trust. I do have one idea here though, which is to measure how well people can dig into quality metrics wherever they are. I think this is an implementation success metric. of I want to understand this data product. Where are you meeting me where I am to understand what's in this data product? If someone is in the catalog, you know, the user interface of, of that, can they see the metrics and SLAs around data quality for each data product, you know, that it's not trapped in your Monte Carlo and your great expectations and your, um, you know, your whatever, uh, new relic or whatever that 
it's not trapped in all these different systems. It's in front of them. Can they see that um, and understand that? What about with the data scientist or the data engineer using, you know, the CLI, the command line interface? When I managed AWS costs for Tenable, I think of the 300 plus engineers in the department that I was kind of overseeing from a cost basis, maybe 10 at most had ever logged into the actual AWS console UI to do any day-to-day work. So you can think about availability of your data quality understanding to meet people where they are. Not my best phrasing, but hopefully you get it, right? You can start to think about that as a success metric of can people understand the data quality where they are and that they don't have to chase and and go into seven different systems to figure out, is this something I want to use? Is this something I can trust? There are other things that might be indicators, but I think are too hard to extract signal from noise. Something like how many code change deploys of data products are there once that data product has hit version 1.0, once it's supposed to be relatively stable from a quality basis. If there are tons of constant code changes, does that imply because there were issues and the quality was bad? It can be really hard to say. Again, it's something where you could look to it, but determining you know, correlation causation of, of issues is, is really difficult there. So let's look to wrap this one up a bit. I've been talking for over 30 minutes, and I apologize on that. But <laughs> when thinking about data quality metrics around your implementation as a whole, you want to dig into the numbers. Are people hitting their SLAs? You also want to dig into how quickly you can detect and recover from issues. So that's mean time to detect, mean time to recover. Similarly, but with a grain of salt, how many incidents uh, you are having and their severity. Another one you want to dig into measuring trust, which will probably at least start in a pretty roundabout fashion. You're not going to be great at understanding your trust. So eh, it's fine. Get to measuring. And you want to dig into the quality of your metadata, but I don't have the best of ideas there, right? If I were early in my journey, what would I do from an implementation metric standpoint? I would set up um, I would set up data quality definition and measurement framework, not defining what is good data, but having singular definitions around what does accuracy or completeness or whatever mean, and then also have that as how it is measured so that everybody has the same standard of measurement for these things, that there's tools and automation to measure that. I would start to report on how often people are meeting their SLAs. Again, that kind of one-hour time window or whatever. I, I would start surveying key business stakeholders about their opinion on data quality and trust. I would probably manually track mean time to discover and mean time to recover rather then put in a complicated software solution around that for, you know, detecting issues or incidents. And I would look to what caused the the issue, you know, was that producers, the platforms, or sometimes just the good old machines having an issue, right? There was a memory fault and it caused this maltransformed data, right? I would look, I would require things in the documentation and metadata around data products before they can be considered a, a data product. You must have this information before it can get published. But I would probably not ter- look to really measure the quality of metadata until you understand what quality metadata looks like. 
So I would focus again on the, are people meeting their SLAs? How long does it take me to discover or detect issues? Somewhat, how long does it take me to recover? Number of issues and how, um, you know, how their severity as well as what's causing those issues. Those are the, the kind of four things that I would really look to. Oh, and then obviously trust, right? But trust is really, really hard to measure. I, I again, talk about that. That's <laughs> very, very difficult. I feel like this is scratching the surface and there should probably be an entire framework around your implementation success metrics. If people want to develop that with me, do reach out. I think it, this is a book or some kind of framework that people can actually apply. You know, but the key again to this is to think about what are you trying to accomplish and work backwards? You aren't, or at least shouldn't be, measuring for the sake of measuring. So let's sum this all up again. Again, this has been quite long, so I apologize, but let's let's circle back on this. As mentioned, the last two implementation success metrics mesh musings, at the start, it's more important to start measuring than it is to measure the right things. Do not let analysis paralysis hold you back. Start measuring early to figure out what actually matters, and that will also change over time. Similarly, your success metric measurement framework will probably suck to start. Oh well, get to measuring. Use fitness functions. Fitness functions are a great way to track metrics and figure out if this metric even matters. It is really a journey. Data mesh is a journey. Measuring how you're doing in data mesh is a journey. You will need to find small and simple ways to measure. Don't get bogged down. Your measurements will be rough and kind of depressing with the amount of challenges that you see at the start of your implementation. Just understand this measurement is about how well you are doing, not how complete you are with your journey. There is always more to do. Reflect back on how far you're co you've come we often forget to do that. When it comes to data quality measurement at the implementation level, you need to think about what you are trying to accomplish. Many people go down the wrong path of trying to measure quality in a vacuum. It's about what are the expectations and why do we care about quality? To, again, to improve our decision-making around data and to improve trust so more people feel they can rely on data. It's that simple. Now, measuring how well you are achieving those gets a bit harder, right? <laughs> and then finally, so what to measure or consider how to measure regarding data quality at the implementation success level? How often are people in compliance with their quality SLAs, whatever those SLAs may be? How quickly are you detecting and resolving or recovering from incidents? How many incidents are you having and what is their severity? And then again, kind of frame that around how many data products do we have? How many teams do we have doing this? Who is actually discovering when there are issues or incidents? Are there automated detections? And is it the producer or consumers discovering the issues? How do you actually think about trust and the impact of trust on the success of your implementation? How do you measure and increase trust levels? How does that impact value creation? And finally, what is the quality of your metadata? I may not, I may do the next mesh musings on something other than success metrics because these are getting so long and I know they're, they're important, but it's also a little crazy. 
but we, we still need to talk about organizational success metrics, which are real squishy and but super crucial, and governance success metrics, were, which are less squishy, but still kind of squishy and <laughs> also very crucial. But we'll wrap uh, another too long episode here. So with that, Scott out. Hopefully that was a useful mesh musing for you. Please do rate and review the podcast. It really does help. And if you'd like to get in touch and see how I can be helpful to you, check out the show notes. I'm pretty easy to find. As I mentioned, there are some great free programs in addition to some very affordable things around implementer intros and roundtables on the Data Mesh Understanding website. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And with that, now on to the funky outro music. Thank you.